Good morning. My name is Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors at Redemption Tucson. Glad to be in Phoenix. Paul and the staff here welcomed me. Thank you very much for having me here this Sunday. That mural that you saw being painted is at, um, it's on Roosevelt between 1st and 2nd. If you get a chance, check it out, take a picture. Uh, we need to get the word out that fathers and their children uh, can be reconciled. My mentor in preaching always tells me that some sermons get on your block, if you will. Some sermons get on your street. Some sermons kind of get into your house. Some sermons get on your couch. And some sermons kind of are all up in your business. (laughs) This morning, I'm going to be all up in your business. Thank you. I love people who take notes, love people, love people who head nod, but I love amens. Preach, preacher, doesn't, doesn't hurt either. This morning, uh, some of the things I'm going to talk about will trigger some emotions within you, but I, be- I ask you to bear with me as we go through this. Some of these topics are difficult. Some of these things I'm going to share this morning uh, will be difficult to hear, but uh, we need to hear them. Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for what you're doing, what you've done, and what you will do. Lord, these people did not come to hear my thoughts or words that came to hear from you this day. Lord, let me just be a mouthpiece uh, for your word to challenge, rebuke, encourage in any way that I can. Lord, would you use me this morning in a mighty way? I humble myself before you. I pray for just fertile ground in the hearts of those who are hearing this message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In the summer of 2020, I was at home, like most of us, those, those, those few weeks or months were, were confusing to some of us. But one of the questions I asked myself in those weeks or months was, if I get COVID and I pass away, have I lived a full life? Is there something that I had in mind that I feel like God has placed in my heart that I was wasting time on, that I was dragging my feet on? Was there something, is there something that God has placed in your heart that you feel like, oh man, I should, have, I should get this done. It was in that vein of thought that I called one of my good friends. I hadn't seen him in a long time, actually. I lost contact with him. His name's Charles. I called Charles. Actually, I texted him. I said, Charles, man, I haven't seen you or anybody else in a few weeks. Can we get together? He said, yes, let's get together. I said, I have an idea that I want to share with you. I want to hear what you, what you think. So Charles and I got together. We were in Denver, and... We're walking around a lake, and I shared with him, I said, Charles, I'm building a program to help reconcile fatherless adults to their fathers, to help reconcile fatherless adults, adults who grew up without their fathers, with their fathers. He said, tell me more. I explained what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it, 
and what I was, why I wanted to do it, right? And we walked and we talked. And then at, towards the end of the conversation, he said, Marcus, can you sit down with me? We sat down on two rocks, looking, overlooking the lake. And he said, Marcus, I want to tell you something. I'm one of those kids. And he said, my father left when I was seven years old. He was 44 at the time. He said, for the last 37 years, I have not seen or talked to my father. The last image I have of my father, he said, he was at the bottom of the stairs and I was at the top and he had a rucksack on his back and he walked out the door and I haven't heard or seen him since. A few months later after our conversation, I get a call from Charles and he says, hey Marcus, I couldn't wait for you to start that program of yours. Hint, hint, start it. So I called my dad. Well, he called his mother. And his mother didn't have a number for his father. So he, she gave him the number of her sister, of his sister. So he called his aunt, and his aunt gave him a number for his father. His father's in late 60s, early 70s. Now he's retired. And when he called the number, he was hoping for the voicemail. <laughs> phone rings, and sure enough, his father picks up the phone. And he said, this is your son, Charles. There was an audible, he said, gasp on the other end of the phone. He said, my son, Charles? And he said, yes. He said, I want to meet with you. I want to talk with you. So he bought a plane ticket, flew across the country to the East Coast, and sat in a park. And he recorded the conversation. And he sent me the conversation. It's a two-hour conversation that if I let you listen to, you will weep. His father talks about, at the age of 19, he said, quote, I, I didn't have two pennies to rub together. I was afraid. I didn't know what to do. So I ran. I left, and I shouldn't have. He said, Ken, at, towards the end of the conversation, he said, I want to tell you that I'm sorry. Can we salvage these years that we have lost? And Charles said, yeah, let's begin, let's begin somewhere. So now it's been two years. Charles talks to his dad regularly, and he says there's still things that they need to work out. On Father's Day, Thanksgiving, he feels like he knows them, but he doesn't really know them, right? There is this disconnection that he's trying to, 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 to bridge, this morning, we'll begin our journey to the cross of Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. The topic of the sermon this morning is, In Christ, we have been, we have been entrusted with a message and ministry of reconciliation. I will answer three questions for you. Why reconciliation is important? What is reconciliation? And how do we reconcile? What is reconciliation? Why reconciliation is important and how do we reconcile? Why reconciliation is important? Let's start there. Verse 18 of this passage says, All of this is from God 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God has given each of us as Christians no way out, a ministry and a message of reconciliation. We have been given that ministry. This morning, I want to specifically talk about the ministry of reconciliation between fathers and children. In our society, in American culture, we have phrases that have become the norm, and they probably should not be the norm. We have phrases like, this person has daddy issues. This person has father wounds. Oh, the one I actually really don't like is when I hear sports commentators pan in or they talk about fans in the stands say, who's your daddy? Derogatorily taunting people who don't have a relationship with their father that is positive. It's a dysfunction in our society. It's broken, and we have accepted it. We kind of bury it. And it's in the church, which I am a part of. If this is stirring up something in you right now, stay with me. If you're asking the question, what, Marcus, are you asking me to do this morning? You, Marcus, maybe you're saying to yourself, you, preacher, don't know my father. You don't know my child. They want nothing to do with me. I want nothing to do with him from a child's perspective. There's a knot in your stomach this morning. Stay with me. Our heavenly, our, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, right, says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, meaning as Christians that we bring our gifts, there is, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there at the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother and then come back and offer your gift. So reconciliation in Jesus' eyes is very serious. I know for some of you right now, it's dredging up something in me. I feel like I'm not even on your block, and I'm automatically in your house on your couch right now, and that's okay. Maybe you haven't felt these feelings in years. Some of you here have been Christians for years. You're living the Christian life, but there's one part of it, there's one part of you that's not really alive. And that part has to do with reconciliation with family members, specifically your dad. It's the Christmas season, and around this country, I know there are empty chairs where a father should be. When I was 12 years old, I was a refugee living in West Africa. I grew up in the country of Liberia, West Africa. And I'm, I'm living in a refugee camp in another country called Ghana. Ghana is two countries over, a British colony. They speak English just like we do in Liberia. And because of war, I'm transported and, and, and I'm living in Ghana. I'm living in Ghana with a family that has pigs and corn, and I'm, I'm working on their farm. And I'm the last of six children, and I hadn't seen my siblings in two years. I haven't seen four of uh, the six siblings, uh, five siblings in two years. My oldest brother came back from Liberia, and he brought me a letter. 
in that letter, when he handed me the letter and I looked at the letter, I hadn't, I hadn't seen the handwriting on the letter for long, so I opened the letter and I began to read the letter. And in that letter, the letter was from my brother who's four years older than I am. And he says to me, he says, let me just interject real quick. My name when I grew up was uh, Jungle Boy. You can laugh, it's okay. <laughs> I, I was called Jungle Boy from my, from my family, my parents, because I, always, I was always out barefoot. Whatever you have in mind, whatever you've imagined of Africa, that's what it is, right? I, I loved animals. I loved fishing. I loved all those kinds of things. And I'm out. So the, the, immediately when I see the handwriting and I see my name at the top, and my brother, who I hadn't seen in two years, is explaining his condition because he's still in the war. He finally gets a letter out to his little brother. And in that letter, he says this. He says, I want to let you know that our father was captured and he was killed in the war a year and a half ago. And I want to tell you that you are now an orphan. And he told me, at towards the end of the letter, the man who took the life of my dad and made me an orphan. From the age of 12, to the age of about 30, I held unforgiveness in my heart towards this man. I became a Christian at 19, and I was living the Christian life, but it was one part of me that I didn't want God to touch. It was a part that included unforgiveness towards this individual. There's a popular song that came out, I don't know, 20 years ago. It's a love song, and one of the lines in the song that the guy sings is, I'm dying inside, and nobody knows it but me. That line described a lot of years of my life. Some of you in this room right now are living like this. There is someone in your life that you cannot bear to see. The thought of that person can ruin your day. The knot in your stomach, you, you get tight. You have either caused that person harm or they have harmed you. In some cases, there is no bridge, you say. There is just no bridge for you to, there's no safe bridge for you to walk towards that person in forgiveness and reconciliation. You don't, you don't find that person to be safe. In other words, you don't have a path to reconciliation. You don't want to courageously address the situation in your life because you can't just see, you can't see how it's possible to forgive that person, let alone sit in a room and try to rewire a life with them in it. You can't see them admitting wrongdoing. You can't see yourself forgiving them. Some of you in here need to talk to your dad. You need to talk to your kids. But you're sitting here and you're letting it go and you've let it go for years. My question to you is letting it go until when? You've convinced yourself that you will deal with it later. I was on the phone with a guy who wants me to come and sit and do a radio interview with him about fatherhood. And he says, as we're talking, he said in a conversation, he said, I think I may have a kid out there that I don't know about, that I've been trying, I've just, I've just ignored. And I said, when do you plan on addressing that? He said, maybe on my deathbed, maybe. Hurts to hear. 
If you're sitting here this morning and my voice sounds like the prophet Nathan, I hope it does, that you are that man when Nathan was addressing the prophet David. I hope I'm in your house right now. I didn't hear an amen, but I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Reconciliation is so important. It's so important. It's so important. What is it? What is reconciliation? What is it? The the dictionary definition is the restoration of of friendly relationships. Two people, once estranged, coming together in order to establish or reestablish a connection again. The beauty about reconciliation is that God gives us a picture, a very costly picture, but he gives us a picture of what it should look like. I, Marcus Doe, was once a sinner. You were once a sinner, unable to save yourself. And a holy God sent his son to humbly give his life as the hymn says, for a wretch like me. So that you and I could be reconciled to God, it cost him something. That is, God reconciled us to himself, and it was costly. His son, Jesus Christ, gave his life as a bridge so that we could be connected to a holy God. Reconciliation, ladies and gentlemen, my definition of reconciliation is seeing and treating someone as God sees them and treats them. I'll repeat that. Reconciliation is seeing and treating someone as God sees them and treats them. In Christ, ladies and gentlemen, we have been entrusted with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. We have been trusted individually with a message and a ministry of reconciliation. No one gets to check out. In 2012, I was sitting in my apartment, and my little dingy apartment in Denver. I was a single guy. I was almost married, almost. Um, And I'm sitting in my apartment, and I get a phone call. Back then, I had a landline. I still got a landline. Don't raise your hand if you do. It's okay. I had a landline, and the phone rings. You know, I pick it up. Hello? And the person on the, other li- on the other hand of the line says, hey, can I talk to Jungle Boy? And when I hear that name, I know right away that person really knows me. That person knew me when I was a child. That person knows me well, right? Uh, yes, no one else says Jungle Boy. Yes, this is my, you know, when people call from the bank or people call, they don't say Jungle Boy. <laughs> hey, can I talk to this person? Let me talk to Jungle Boy. So I pick up the phone. Yes, this is Jungle Boy. The voice on the other end of the phone, as the person kept talking, I started to recognize. It was the voice of the woman who was accused of killing my mother. 22 years later, she had gotten my phone number from my sister in Liberia, and she called me. The conversation went something like this. As we talked pleasantries and we talked and things like that, she said to me, she said, I want to say to you, Mark, I want to say to you, Jungle Boy, that I'm sorry for what happened 20 years ago. And I said, okay. And then she took it a step further. She said, I need help. My health is failing and my kids are in school, 
can you help me pay for, my co- for the college of my kids? My kids are in college, can you help me pay? Brothers and sisters in Christ, it was a moment that I could have easily, right, hung up that old phone. But something inside of me that needed to be addressed shouted out, yes, I can help you. Against every human, every, every ounce of my being wanted to say, you took somebody from me that I can never get back. You don't know how many tear-filled nights I had. I was nine years old and my mother was killed. And I said yes. Reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. So how do we reconcile? How do we do it? Verse 19 kind of starts in mid-sentence there. Verse 18 and 19. I'll, I'll just pick it up at 19. says this. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, the phrase, not counting their trespasses against them. How do we do reconciliation? Reconciliation is a step of faith. It's a huge step of faith. Not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting the thing they did against them. Sharing the great message of the gospel of Jesus Christ through reconciliation. Taking our faith as Christians into the public square, if you will. Being active culture makers. It has to start in the church. We can't call ourselves Christians and say, I'm a Christian except for this, except for forgiveness, except for reconciliation. I'm going to do, I can't do that, but Lord, I'm going to do this. It takes, it takes humility, I know. It takes prayer. It takes intentionality. It takes seeing others as Jesus Christ sees them. And you know how Jesus sees all of us. The way you see someone, when you start seeing someone as Jesus sees them, here's what it does to you. It changes you. We have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. For us to be Christ-like is to be a bridge. For us to be Christ-like is to endure. For us to be Christ-like is to humble ourselves. For us to be Christ-like is to be prayerful. For us to be Christ-like is to lay down our pride, is to lay down the right to unrighteous anger, is to drop unforgiveness, is to admit wrongdoing, is to submit yourself to God when you have the right to justice, but you defer to God. When you have the right to justice, but you defer to God, Vengeance is mine, says who? Y'all in here acting all shy? Come on, man, come on. Christ, having known no sin, saw our sin and still gave his life for us. 
It's a great message. If you take it to the fullest, if you walk that journey to the fullest, knowing that Christ, who had no sin, gave his life so that we may live. What a message. What a message. Christ has reconciled, he is reconciling, and will reconcile us to God. This should spark in us a new way of living. We are new people. When we come to Christ, we have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reconcilers like us should live differently. This should be a mark of what it means to be a Christian, is to be a reconciler. How do we do it? We can't do it in our own strength. I'll tell you that right now. You've heard that in church before. If you've been in church, you know you can't do things in your own strength, but you keep trying. You can't do that in your own knowledge, in your own ability. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new includes a lot of news, by the way. In 2010... After 20 years of being away from Liberia, I was 31 years old. I had left Liberia during the war. We had been in hiding for a whole year, trying to stay alive, barely staying alive. Um, and and, and, and I, I am, I've been living in the States for 20 years. I haven't seen my siblings in 20 years. I buy a ticket because I'm going to go back to Liberia, and I'm going to see my siblings, and I'm going to find the people who made me an orphan, and I want to make, I want to reconcile with them. I've chosen to forgive them because some counselor pushed me in that direction, which I didn't want to do. I didn't want to hear anybody with me, right? Pushed me in that direction and said, what if, could you live the rest of your life? The question she asked me was, could you live the rest of your life, Marcus, having not forgiven the person, who, people who did this to you? And I knew I couldn't. So I bought this ticket excitedly. I get to Liberia. And a couple of things I would say before, before I get to this. The, I, I told my brothers they were coming two days before I was coming. So they didn't really take me seriously. It's like, oh, well, maybe he's coming, maybe he's not. You know, they hadn't seen me in 20 years. It's like, it's hard to get across the ocean. We, there was no mail, by the way, right? We couldn't, the war had destroyed everything in Liberia. There was email, so we could kind of talk a little bit. But I, I told them, I'm coming. I'll be there on Wednesday. So one of my brother's wives showed up at the airport. Time out. Not, <laughs> somebody just got stuck on a picture. Let me just clarify that. I have four brothers, they all have one wife, and one of them showed up. <laughs> Not they have multiple wives. <laughs> I don't want you to leave here today, so man, they brought some kind of preacher over here <laughs> saying some stuff. They all have one wife, and one of their wives came to the airport to get me. When we, when we drove and got back to my house, I stayed up with my brothers from 8 p.m. that night all the way to 1 p.m. the next day talking about our journey over 20 years, our grief, our loss. I can remember asking for probably about 30 people. Where is so-and-so? That person was killed. Where is so-and-so? This person died. Where is so-and-so? This person's gone. That trip changed my life because I recognized I could not go on in my life. Reconciliation was going to be a huge deal for me. Not what I pictured my life to be, but that's what it became. During that trip, <laughs> I gained 27 pounds in five weeks. <laughs> Everybody wanted to feed me wherever I went. 
and I ate heartily. I got to see a lot of family members that I hadn't seen. Because here's what happens uh, in, in Liberia. When after 20 years, when people don't see you, they stop asking. They don't want to trigger your family members, so they don't ask about you. So no one asked about Jungle Boy anymore. They thought I was dead. My whole neighborhood. I remember one of my neighbors I used to go to to buy sugar when I was a kid. I showed up at her house, and I said, hey, it's Jungle Boy. And she, she had to sit down. She's so old. I thought I, thought I was going to kill her. Because she's like, I can't believe it. You're like, she touched, she was touching me. Like, oh my gosh. The point of this story is, towards the end of the trip, I was sitting in a barber shop. My 15 other guys were in the shop, and the, the, guy, the, the barber, when I finally got my turn in the shop, and he starts cutting my hair, he started, and he started saying things like, you know, he started asking, making conversation. First of all, I had given him five U.S. dollars, you know, for a haircut, which a haircut is like 50, 50 cents U.S., right, 50 cents, and I gave him five. So he cleared out. He said, whoever else is sitting here, <laughs> y'all ain't about to get in this chair, right? He's cutting every single hair, felt like, taking his time, and he's, you know, doing it. He's trying to make conversation. It's, it's hot, and we're sitting in this little, little barber shop, and he gets to this point right here, and he's kind of shaving my neck, and then he asked me, what's your name? And I said, my name is Marcus Doe, and he stopped. He stopped because the last name, my last name, is the same last name as the dictator who was overthrown during the war. My dad was killed because he was the assistant director of the Secret Service for the country. So when that government was being overthrown, a lot of those people got killed. And all of the gentlemen sitting in that barbershop that day were all former child soldiers who would have taken my life 20 years earlier. And the room, the, the, the temperature in the room changed. They were like, one of them flat out just said it. He said, we were looking for people like you to kill. Well, here I am. And he said, why did you come back? And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say it. Like I came back for you because when I look into their eyes, they were in their 30s. They had been fighting in a war since they were teenagers. They all started to tell me their stories. I killed this many people. I did this. I did that. And the society does not want to welcome me back in. So how are you even having a conversation with me right now? I looked into their eyes and I realized they weren't the monsters that I thought they were. Anybody understand that? When you finally get to, to humanize the person that you've dehumanized in your mind for so long, that you've caricatur caricatured in your mind for so long, and you see, Christ, you see them as Christ sees them, it changes them and you. Y'all ain't saying amen, but I'm not, I'm not worried about it. We have a message in the church to be the forefront on this issue. Here is an opportunity. Here is a vision for what it means to be Christ-like in that arena, to be on the forefront in our society. So often it feels like the church is always behind. Anybody all feel that? Like we're always behind on things that are in the Bible that should be, we should be doing, but we're not. It's like we're still printing out, some of, these, some of these teenagers here don't even know, we're still printing out MapQuest directions when the whole world is on GPS. <laughs> Reconciliation is our message. Christ died for us, and we need to do that. When I was in the seminary, one of, one of, my, one of my favorite classes was the, the sociology of religion, and we got this book where we were talking about this this man named James Davison Hunter wrote a magnificent book called To Change the World. 
And one of the things he shared in that book was that some part, he says some parts of America, some parts of this country feels like they are Christ-haunted. There are churches everywhere. There's Christ's fingerprints everywhere, but people aren't living like Christians. It's like Jesus used to be here, but he's not anymore because the people that claim to follow him are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. I just got loud. I don't usually get loud like that. He said, it feels like a haunted house when you walk into some churches. People come in and it feels hollow because there are certain things that the Bible commands us, tells us to do that we're not, we're not even doing. Am I on your couch right now? Amen. If you understand what I'm saying to you, I hope it's hidden somewhere. Blink your eyes if you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Give me something. The proclamation of what God has done, right? We've, you've heard the phrase before, hurt people, hurt people. I'm here to tell you this morning that healed people, heal people. If you're aware of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, that the humanly impossible task of reconciling himself to you or you to himself, you can have hope abundantly in reconciliation with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Thank you. In Jesus Christ, we have been entrusted with the ministry and message of reconciliation. So it was talking in my heart for years that the lunch table that I sat at in high school, most of my friends, my friends that I played basketball with, that I walked home from school with, are all dead. And all of those guys, I'm 43, and they died in their 30s. They all didn't grow up with their fathers. And I always used to think, when we're sitting at the lunch table, what would it be like that my friends can experience what I experienced with my father? Because my father was great, and I lost him. So I know what it felt like to have a dad and then not have one. One of, the, one of the, the, the saddest days of my life, which should have been one of the happiest days of my life. I was, I was a collegiate soccer player, and, and you, you guys know senior day, right? Your parents walk you out on the field, and they play the national anthem, and it's great. You get flowers, all these kind of things, right? All my teammates have their parents, either a mother or a father or both. And I'm the only one who doesn't have anybody. And I'm sitting there. I remember it was raining, and we're getting ready for this soccer game. And it's cold, and I'm African, and I'm sitting there, man, can we get this thing over with? And, and tears. And the, the rain hit my tears because I was alone, right? Reconciliation, forgiveness cost us something. That day I was thinking, what am I doing? How is this? Somebody took my parents from me. People took my parents from me. And, and, and at some point I couldn't believe I would get to the point where I chose to forgive those people who hurt me so deeply. I started Re-Reconcile the organization that he saw there, to help the church deal with reconciliation within the family. When we think reconciliation, we think political sometimes, and that's okay. We think racial sometimes, and that's okay. But I want to start in the family. Through race, through, gener through, through multi you know the deal, through socioeconomics, this, the, the fatherhood problem affects us all. Amen. Here's how it works, right? A father decides they want to they do this, right? They apply, right? And they, they contact your child, and your child applies, and we spend months counseling both of you separately before we bring you together. When we bring you together, we take you on a retreat for three or four days where you have these conversations with a counselor that you've already worked your way through for months, and then we help you guys 
reconcile and reimagine what it will be like to have a relationship afterwards. When you return home from that, re- from that retreat, you start to meet with the counselor together. We walk with you through the process, and we take care of your story. We take care of you through this process. That's how we do it. If you want to hear more about We Reconcile and how I work and how we work, I will be outside after the service. If you even need to talk to me, you'll say, man, I'm struggling with what you told me. I will be outside. What I want to do, what I have a vision for, what God gave me a vision for, is a path to reconciliation between fathers and their estranged kids that we've ignored in a society for far too long. Amen? I love the Lord and the message that he's giving me, I believe, through the life experiences that I've had, I'm willing to sit with folks who are going through tough situations when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation. And I'm willing to walk that message because we, as Christians, have been given the message of reconciliation, a message and a ministry of reconciliation. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for fertile ground. Thank you for the, just the words, oh Lord. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place as you're working through the hearts of those who are working through situations of forgiveness, unforgiveness, and reconciliation. Heavenly Father, would you walk with us through this journey? Lord, we surrender. Lord, I pray that this word that was just preached will find a place in the hearts of those who need it. Lord, I thank you for what you do, how you transform lives. This day might be somebody's first day on the path to reconciliation, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.